I thought you were saying that earlier. That's why I've been over here being quiet. All right, come on in. We're going to go ahead and get started with our Wednesday night Bible class. I'm going to warn you that um, I took this challenge from an elder and it turned into, I thought it might be only a couple weeks. It's probably going to be a few weeks. So if um, you get tired of this study on rocks, um, the guy you need to talk to is back there. Um, I think it's actually going to be really really, um, really very interesting, actually. Um, very deep, but I think at first we're going to feel like maybe we're looking into things like trying to find something everywhere, but it's, it's cause it's just there. Um, are there any prayer requests? I got Steve. Anybody else? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, that don't happen very much. Usually we have a few. That's a good thing. Let's keep remembering the tag toes in our prayers. Um, when it comes to Bill, I just got off the, Bill Larner, I got off the phone with um, Mitzi just a few minutes ago, and she said the biopsy went well, but they won't. Potentially the earliest they could find out results would be Friday. So remember we're Remember the doctor's already said that he thinks it's cancer, so we're praying that it's not. Um, I got to talk to Shad. He was here on Sunday. Um, just still struggling with blood clots, so just keep praying for him. Um, when it, Trey and me are actually meeting at, for... Um, lunch on Friday, so remember to pray for me that I have the right words to say. Give, God gives me those right words. Um, Mitzi is um, struggling with um, her treatments are not fixing the tumors on her chest. So they're um, looking at new strategies. And she's going through some stuff right now to try to figure out some new strategies. You know, we have not talked about Bobby in a little while, Paul. You want to give us an update? We've been praying that he can get back to driving. Sometimes God takes care of our needs 
in different ways than we expect. Yeah, I actually went and visited Lex last week and um, talked to him um, this, I actually talked to him just, he called me and sang happy birthday to me today. Um, him, his wife, and their dog, which if you've never heard their dog sing, it's actually pretty impressive. Um, so he's in very good spirits. Um, he's a very good um, attitude, making lots of jokes to me. I'm still trying to figure out his new way, if you will, of how things are going to work for him. And he's still dealing with a lot of pain and arthritis. So that's what he was talking to me about today. He's good, but he's sitting there in pain. So anybody, anybody, anybody else that I'm overlooking or want you want to update on? All right. What about Lloyd? He's, he's doing better. I'm just ready to say he's doing better. Well, you know. Okay. And just for the record, Brenda Scott um, texted me today and said she's, she says she's sicker than she's ever been in her life. And so I'm going to go try to visit her very soon. She's starting to get very nervous um, about her health as well. And Leah is still recovering and see her most Sundays here because things are going, they just, things are just getting better as well. We have little setbacks here and there. Um, last but not least, I'll cover my wife real quick. So we are very hopeful that they have figured out what's going on with her. Um, they want to run like one or two more tests. So we got to go back to Mayo again. Um, but they want to run a couple more tests to just make sure that what they really believe it is, is what it is before we start to do treatment. What they're talking about right now is called POTS. Um, and most of it uh, really revolves around not getting to eat anything fun or exciting. So um, outside of that, you just gotta, you might have to deal with it the rest of your life. You, you might be able to control it with diet. That's pretty much where we're at right now. All right, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started in class. God, we thank you so much for this time where we can be together and just pray for each other. And, and we thank you that you're always listening to our prayers and you're extremely concerned with our life, with our thoughts, with our heart, with our emotions that we go through every single day. Lord, and we're grateful that you never get tired of hearing from us. And you're always looking to work everything out for the good of all of us who love you. And Father, we come before you tonight with um, many, many on our hearts, many on our minds. We start with um, Steve Sharp Sr. Father, we pray that 
Um, he's in the ER right now. They're looking at things based on some stroke symptoms. We don't have any, very many answers, but we just pray that um, he comes out of this healthy. Lord, he's been talking to me many Sundays about how it just doesn't feel like things are ever going to get better. So, Father, I just pray that you give him some encouragement. Um, help us rally around him, surround him with love, and figure out ways that we can make his life more comfortable. Father, I also want to pray for Mitzi. Um, she's continuing to fight, and she's always in a good mood every time I call her, for the most part, always worried about everybody else and always looking to turn the conversation to others. And Father, we know right now that the treatments aren't working for the tumors on her chest, so Father, we just pray that um, they can figure out something to, to fix that, or Lord, that you'll just heal that. Father, we also pray for Shad. She's been dealing with blood clots and um, had some scary, scary times. Lord, he's always as well full of joy, a person that makes you laugh, likes to have fun in life, and works really hard here at the church when it comes to the renovations that we do and just always willing to serve. Father, we just pray that um, whatever's causing these blood clots, Lord, that you can just heal that. Father, we also pray for Lex as he's sitting at home. Father, dealing with the pain of the arthritis, dealing with this new stage of life where he's a little, he needs a little bit more help than he's used to ever having in his life. And Father, I know that's, that's tough. God, we just pray that you continue to encourage him, continue to comfort him. Father, and again, if there's something we can do, help us to rally around and, and serve him in this time. Father, we also pray for Lloyd. Father, and his AFib. And Lord, just hearing what Rhonda said tonight, I, I can relate as my wife as well, seems like she's getting better and then we take a step back and it seems like everything's getting better and we take a step back. And, but really there is progress being made and I think that's what I also heard from Rhonda and it's just easy to get discouraged on those little setbacks. So Father, keep being with Lloyd, keep being with Rhonda, keep being with Amy, keep being with me as we all go through it and deal with it as our loved ones go through trials and, and difficulties. Father, be with Bobby. Lord, he's still recovering from his stroke. And God, we see that you're taking care of his needs in, in ways when it comes to his living and his transportation, Lord. But we're praying that he can get back to a place where he can be independent, where he can make his own decisions, go where he wants to go, work how he wants to work and where he wants to work. Father, we just pray that you keep blessing him and, and keep bringing him back to his, his health, to, to normal health, to full health. Father, we also pray for Brenda Scott. Lord, she's been going through it for quite a while. God, we pray that you give her calmness. Father, that you can relieve some of her anxiety. 
Father, we pray that um, you give her good breath, that she can breathe easy. Father, we pray that you heal her so she can come back and be with us. Father, when she talks to me, she talks about how she misses being here. But she's not healthy enough to be here. Lord, I just pray you give her the health to be here. So we can encourage her. Father, we also are grateful and we continue to pray for Leah and and the recovery that she's making. Father, we pray that that recovery continues. that, That you answer our prayer the way we started it right from the beginning, Lord. And that is if if she was going to recover, which she has. Or that she would have a better life than she had before. Because she's always with illness and disease as well. And Father, we see already the tremendous um, impact. Not just our prayer, but you have made in her life through this trial. Through this struggle. Father, in the faith that she exudes every day. As she, as she works to get better and back to health. God, we thank you for her example. We thank you for the power that we've seen through you in her life. God, we also pray for John. Last time I talked to him, he was nervous about the the cancer around his eye, and it seemed like they've um, put a pause on some things. Lord, we just, just pray that you'll heal that. Which will help the doctors figure out what they need to do so he can keep it and get back to health as well. God, I know there's names I've forgot to mention. There, there are other names on the prayer list as well. Lord, you know them all. Father, I could sit here and pray all night. But God, we just ask as we go into class now that you that you really help us to focus on your word right from the beginning, the little things that you can see and and that show your, not just your infinite wisdom, but your complete control of the world to the point to where, just like we've seen in Daniel, how you can call things out, even people by name, hundreds of years before things happen. Lord, I pray we look at your scripture tonight in that exact same way and see what you were trying to show us just through these little symbols, through these little, these little words that you repeat over and over and over in scripture. And that what, what you were trying to show us right from the beginning. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the fact that we are called your children, that you love us so much that you don't just, you don't just forgive our sin, you take us in your home. And you share your spirit with us. And you make us heirs. God, we don't deserve it, but we're grateful for your grace and we're grateful for your mercy. It's through his name we pray, Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So again, we're going to have some fun tonight. I'm going to really challenge you guys tonight. This is, what I, this is where... Um, 
kind of this is how I feel about this topic that we're going to discuss. We're going to start with the idea of rocks. And just like we did with the Holy Spirit, as we're looking at the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning, we started right at the beginning. And I think sometimes we don't do that. And we might miss the little things that have been building up the whole way through Scripture, which is why even though we know, for example, on Sunday morning, that when we get to the New Testament, which is going to be maybe even something you see tonight, when we get to the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of us through baptism. Right. We also saw in the Old Testament how the Holy Spirit was um, God's spirit was resting on people that we expected and didn't expect. But it was not resting on everybody, even though Moses was the one who said, I wish it was resting on everybody. I wish everybody had the spirit. I wish all would prophesy in Israel. Remember that? So I want you to think of, of it along those same lines when we're discussing this idea of the rock. All right. And the rock is tricky because there's a lot of words in the Bible besides rock, that means rock. It's not just a simple concordance study um, tonight. But I want to start at the beginning, and I, wanna, and, I, and I will say this too. We're not going to look at every single scripture that has the word in it. But we're going to look at the ones that have very valuable meaning. That's what I'm trying to do in this study. So, if you are guessing where... Would the significance of rocks start? Who does it start with? Jesus, Peter, anybody else? Creation, all right. Definitely part of creation, right? Joshua, anybody else want to take a guess? Nobody's right so far. Boaz, is that what I heard? Moses. Okay, Moses. I heard another. No? Oh, okay, I thought I heard another. All right. Well, yet again, I'll be the first to admit that I, if you had asked me that question unprepared, I wouldn't know the answer. I wouldn't know the answer off the top of my head. A lot of you have said things that um, certainly have implications on the rock in the scriptures. But really where it starts is a place that I think is kind of a little bit unexpected. It's Genesis 28. This is the first significance of a rock. Okay? And, and what I want you to see also is the significance of what's happening around the rock. When you see the word the rock or the stone in Scripture, I don't want to just focus on what the words say around it. I want to focus on actually what's happening around it as well. Because to me, it's, again, God... In his infinite wisdom, every single word in scripture matters. He places them for a reason. And in that symbolism, real truths, the deep truths of God's word comes out. Just like in the context of scriptures, the deep truths of God's word comes out. All right. So this is Genesis 28. This is where Jacob, he's just left Isaac. Isaac's told him, go. It's your turn. Go. You're the one that's going to carry on this promise that started with Abraham and has now gone to you. And he blesses him and he tells him one thing. He says, hey, you're not allowed to marry anybody that's not your relative. You know, that's what he says. 
All right. You're not allowed to marry anybody that's outside of God's people. All right. That's something that we see all through um, the Old Testament. But specifically in this moment, that's what Isaac has said to Jacob. And guess what? When he starts to leave, the first place he travels through just so happens to be the land of Ishmael. And guess who's watching him, by the way? It's, I think it's interesting. Guess who's watching him? Guess who's watching him leave? Not Jacob. But who else do we always remember with Jacob? Esau. Okay? And Esau is watching Jacob as he's traveling through the land of Ishmael. As he's traveling through their people. And I don't know what that looked like. But I know this. Esau from afar has noticed that Jacob, he has no interest in Ishmael's daughters. So what does he do? He goes in behind Jacob and marries one of Ishmael's daughters. Why am I saying that? Because I've been stressing to you guys the importance of understanding that some, we only get little glimpses of people's lives. So sometimes when we're reading scripture and God gives somebody a harsh treatment and you only have one or two examples of them making a mistake, you look back at yourself and you go, wow, like that's pretty rough. I hope God doesn't treat me that way. Well, we don't always know. and We're not always going to get to know all the rough stuff that's going on. And I think that's really important when understanding the justice of God. Esau He's not just a guy that sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He's a guy that doesn't live his life for God or he would have never done that. Okay. And, and that, and you see that right here in this text. So he gets through the land of Ishmael and he's sleepy and he does what any normal person would do, Right. He looks around on the ground and he finds a really comfortable rock and he puts it on the ground and he lays his head on it and he goes to sleep. I mean, that's what you would do if you were out in the woods, right? You just put your head on a rock. That's what he did. And when he goes to sleep, he has a dream. He has that dream that we know as Jacob's Ladder, where God is essentially telling him the same thing that he told Abraham, the same thing that he told Isaac. Just follow my ways and I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. Right? Those are the blessings. So Jacob wakes up the next morning and he's like, what? How did I not know that God was in this place? That's what he says. How did I not know that God was in this place? And you can see him almost like this. I mean, this is how I was when I was reading it. You can see him. He knows he needs to do something. He knows he needs to do something for God. And so he's looking around and he wants to connect something to God because somehow he overlooked that God was in this place. And what does he do? He looks at that rock that he put his head on that when he went to sleep, he had that dream. And he takes that rock and he makes a pillar out of it. And he pours oil on it. 
And then he says something that I think is very interesting. And, and what I want you to do is, I did not do this. And the reason why I didn't do this is because I think sometimes I do too much in this environment because I'm used to preaching more. Right? So sometimes I do too much in this environment. So what I wanted to do tonight was give you real easy opportunities to tell me where you see Jesus in the scripture. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't see Jesus in the rock in all of these scriptures, th he's there. Okay? So, he's just erected the pillar. He's just anointing it with oil. And then he says this, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, this stone that I laid my head on, that I had the dream of Jacob's ladder and, and my descendants being many and God bringing this massive kingdom, this massive nation, this nation of many nations, by the way, is also part of the blessing. He says, that stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. Shall be God's house. So you see that right from the beginning in this moment. Now let's go a little further and then we'll go backwards and we'll, and we'll see where we see Jesus, right? Genesis 29 is the next moment. And I, I actually, in my studies, initially skipped this. And then as we got deeper into the scriptures, I had to go back and put this in. This is one of those moments where I felt like I was reaching a little bit. Right? Well, I want you to see this for, for, for at least, see if you can see what I saw. Maybe, maybe I'm just looking too hard, but see if you can see what I saw. So now Jacob, he's finally got to the place where, guess what? Laban is, right? And Laban just so happens to be his mother's brother, so Laban has daughters. In fact, Isaac literally tells Jacob, go to Laban. Okay? And he comes up to this land and he's trying to figure out where Laban is. Do you know Laban? Can you point me in the direction of his house? I know he's supposed to live somewhere in this area. Do you know where he's at? But when he, when he walks up to this area, he notices that there's this well. Now look at what it says right here. It says the stone on the well's mouth was large. Hmm. You got a stone that is in the way of a mouth of a well that is holding back water, right? And it just so happens to be really large. Now, if you read the scriptures and you look at every little detail, you will notice that when Jacob's describing this, I didn't put this scripture up there, but you will notice that when Jacob is describing this, that he says, hey, normally all the shepherds, they wait for all the flocks to come down and then they together roll the stone away. And then they let the flocks get the water and then they put the stone back. Now, you believe in love at first sight? Do you think there's an adrenaline that comes with love? I think so. I think so. And I think this is actually one of the things you can overlook. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but this is what I see. All of a sudden, 
Rachel, she shows up with her dad Laban's flock because she's the shepherd. And when Jacob sees Rachel, something clicks in him. Now, he was just telling everybody, wait, 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 we got to wait till all the flocks get here before we roll the stone away. She shows up. <coughs> Excuse me. He looks at her. He sees her sheep getting close to the water. And he's like, <laughs> I'm rolling that stone away. And the scripture says he does it by himself. Okay. And then all the flocks come down and they feed off the water. And oh, by the way, that impressed Rachel pretty much, pretty, pretty, pretty good. And um, yet again, I wouldn't have probably chose to lay my head on a rock to go to sleep. I also probably wouldn't have chose to kiss Rachel quite as quickly as he did. Hi, my name is. <laughs> That's read it. This all happens fast. And of course, she was obviously very smitten because she runs back to tell dad. You'll never guess who I ran into today. Now, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see in this symbolism? I mean, like I said, maybe I'm reaching, but what do you see in this symbolism? You see what? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That was the first thing I saw. Right? You got this great stone covering this tomb, if you will. And when the stone is removed, oh, by the way, what's Jacob's name become? Israel. What is Jesus? He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. He's a Hebrew. This is who he is. This is his people. It's Israel that removes the stone. And when the stone is removed, come on, what comes out? Yeah. Living water pours out to where all the flocks can feed on it. Oh, and by the way, what did we just talk about Sunday? In Genesis chapter 1, what is that water associated with? Talking about symbolism. Where was, yeah, the Spirit. The Spirit was hovering on the water. Look at this. Right from the beginning, you got Jacob. You've got the gospel. You've got the gospel. I just think it's so interesting. Oh, we're going we're gonna to have a little more fun, I promise. And again, if you're not having fun, go talk to Doug. Because I am. I'm serious. When he first challenged me with this, I was like, okay. You know? And, and I knew there's a lot of significance in rock. But when I really started looking for the significance and how early it starts and what it's surrounded by, it started like really going, whoa, in my brain, like, wow. All right, Exodus 17. Next one's Moses. Somebody said Moses, you were, sec you were second, you're closest. This one's interesting. Exodus 17, one through three. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. The wilderness of sin. Pay attention to every detail. Some of you are probably not going to like the way I interpret this. Pay attention to every detail. 
by stages. So they're going into the wilderness of sin, whether that means they're going in, in groups, like tribes, or if they're all going in all together, but they're only allowed to go this far, and then this far, okay? But they're going in at stages, so realize that too. According to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Oh, Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, if you go and you follow Exodus, when does this happen? I gave you a hint. Is it before or after? It's, a, it's right after the Red Sea. They start traveling for a couple days, a couple days everywhere they go, they can't find water. So it's been a few days since the Red Sea, but it hasn't been very far from the Red Sea. Now, what is the complaint of the people? They're thirsty. You go five, six days without drinking, you think you're going to be complaining? You're going to probably be complaining. Where's their fault? Why does Moses feel like when they haven't went, they haven't got a drink of water in days? Why is Moses looking at them and saying, what's your problem with me? Why are you putting, why does Moses have a different mentality than the rest of the Israelites? Yeah, it is about faith, right? In this moment, it's about faith. And I couldn't help but think of there was um, this patriarch who got asked to do something and he didn't really know how it was going to be done, but he had the faith that God was asking him to do something. He didn't know how it was going to be done, but he knew God would do it. You know who that guy is? How about Abraham? Is he before this time? Yeah. God asked Abraham to sacrifice. Hebrews says that Abraham went the whole way thinking, right? If God actually made him go through with it, that God would also what? He would raise him from the dead. That's what the Hebrew writer says. How many times on that trip... Do you think Isaac asked Abraham? We know it's written in Scripture. How many times do you think Isaac asked Abraham? Hey, we've got everything but the sacrifice. Right? And what was Abraham's response? Do you see that in that comment? No, Israel's looking at the situation, forgetting how God has treated his people forgetting everything that God has done to get them to this point, And all they can think is, oh, God's done all these amazing things to get us here so we can die of thirst. If they had faith like Abraham, they would have said, man, I'm really getting thirsty, but God's going to provide. Right? All right. So this is where it gets fun. Look at what God says right here. This is right after the Red Sea. A few days. Can't find water. 
He says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Anybody got a problem with that scripture? Is that confusing anybody? Wait, I thought Moses wasn't supposed to strike the rock. Oh, you think it's because he did it twice? Uh, have you been studying for this class? See, I told you you've been reading your Bible. The first time is after the Red Sea. Now, I'm going to show you why people can get it confused, but I'm also going to show you why details are important and God doesn't make mistakes and every little detail matters. Okay? The second time where Moses gets in trouble is Numbers 20. That's why I thought you said, when you said twice, I was like, oh, you think it's just because he hit it the second time. Right? So Moses and, and Aaron have gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff, not once but twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. Okay. Anybody seeing anything significant to that in what we just read with Jacob? Both of these situations? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. This one? Or further back? Yeah. You know, Paul, you always know how to shock me a little bit. <laughs> Remember what you just said, though. Because I think when we're done with this, you're going to look at Moses a little bit differently, and you're going to see maybe even a little bit more significance on why it was so bad for him to strike the rock that second time. But that is interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have been brave enough to strike the rock the Lord's standing on. That's, even if he told me, are you sure? Are you, you sure? All right. So how do I know that these two are different? This is a place where a lot of people who are not skilled in scripture, and I'm being honest with you about it when I say it this way, they will, the world will tell you, contradiction, contradiction. You sit here and tell everybody that Moses got in trouble because he struck the rock, and they'll go and get that scripture that kind of explains that Moses got in trouble because he struck the rock, and they'll go, wait. Wait, wait. God told him to strike the rock. Right? Now, again, look at these, because these are important. You got the wilderness of sin. Okay, so if you go to Numbers 20, verse 1, whoa, wilderness of sin. That sounds really close, doesn't it? Sounds really close, right? Is it the same wilderness? I don't think so, but just for argument's sake, let's say it is. Okay, I'm willing to um, compromise a little bit. Let's just say it's the same wilderness. It's the wilderness of sin over here. It's the wilderness of Zen over here. You know, a lot of what the world tells you is Zen is sin. They could have come back. They could have come back. All right. But there's things that are happening. Who's Miriam? 
Moses' sister, after the Red Sea, what was she doing? Do you remember? Most people don't remember this. She was dancing, singing, banging on a tambourine, her and all the ladies of Israel. And she was also doing something else very significant. She was prophesying. So at this point, she dies. All right. The other thing I want you to see is that the places where they camp, they're different places. So you've already got the potential that the wildernesses are the same, but they're not spelled the same and they don't mean the same thing. And you also have the fact that Miriam has died. But you still have the same problem. There's no water. Here's the most significant part. In the first moment, God tells them to strike the rock. In the second moment, God tells them to tell the rock. They're different times. They're different times. Now, we know in the New Testament that who's the rock that gave Israel the water all through the wilderness? It's Jesus. All right. So just like Paul, hold on, just like Paul was saying, how do you strike the rock that Jesus stands on? I mean, that God stands on. How you strike the rock at all that represents, at least according to the New Testament, Jesus. All right. What about this one? Go ahead, Doug. Well, with the gospel, it takes both. They struck Jesus down, and, you know, and they told him they needed water. I mean, it was both of those to get gospel come out. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think that's, that's awesome actually. Not something I thought about really but you know the reality is, is it's exactly what we did to Jesus. Right? I remember when I was young especially there was a very popular song that was sung a lot at Teen Weeks and, and SunQuest and things like that. It was called Can He Still Feel the Nails? And the idea was can, he, can Jesus still feel those things that he took for us every time that we sin, every time that we struggle, every time that we mess up, you know, and, and there's a reality to the fact that we've all struck the rock. All right. What about this one? We know this one. This is also shortly after the Red Sea. The Amalekites are waging war with Israel and God's already told Moses to go up on that hill over there and raise your staff. And when you're raising your staff, Israel will be prevailing. The problem is Moses is human. And as much as he wants to hold that staff up, his arms can only do it for so long. His physical abilities are put to the test. And oh, by the way, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he can't hold his arms up. So every time he has to take a break, the Amalekites start to win. And so they come up with an idea. Now, now think about this. Now, God tells them to go up to that hill. And there just so happens to be a rock that's right there that's perfect for Moses to sit on. That gets him in the right place for 
Aaron and her to hold the staff up with him. Right? Sometimes God asks us to do things that are tough. Sometimes in those moments, you feel like you're all on your own. And I want you to realize that God is the rock that you sit on. Even in those times, God is the rock that you sit on. Not only that, but God brings us people to help us in those times. And we have to be those people that help others in those times. You can see it all right from the beginning. It's, it's so interesting. It wasn't until Moses sat on the rock, too, that Joshua overwhelms the Amalekites. All right. How about Exodus 24? We know that one, right? I mean, God is, um, would you say that, um, would you say that God could have wrote these on scrolls? Why rocks? More permanent? Okay. I think permanency is one of the things, although that first set that he wrote by himself, how long did they last? <laughs> Not very long. The ones Israel got weren't the ones written by God. They were the ones written by Moses. Right? Doug's looking at me like, be careful what you're saying right there. I see it in your eyes. You know what I mean. God literally tells him the first time, come up, I'm going to have these, I'm going to have these commandments, this law written on the stones, and I'm going to give them to you. The second time when Moses comes up, God's like, oh, you broke them? You write them. That's what happens. But he wrote them on stone. There, yes, permanency, I think, is definitely one of the things, though. But why the stone? Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. That's 100% right. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. Yeah, it's on the stone. It's right from the beginning. All right. How about this one? Exodus 33. This is, we're still on Mount Sinai. I want you to read this one. I want you to focus in on. Okay. We're making really good time because I'm preaching more than teaching tonight. And this is not how I set it up, but oh well, we're going to go with it. I'm going to figure this out. All right. It's hard, too, because I can lead you, but I also can't help. Like it's most of it's right here. Um, this is this is when God tells Moses. You have found favor in me. Because you've been willing to listen to me and follow me and lead my people out of Egypt and do all the things I've asked you to do. You have found favor in me and now I know you by name. And Moses says, if that's the case, then show me your glory, God. Show me who you are. Show me. Remember when we talked about this weeks ago? Show me who you are. He says, you can't, you can't look at me. You can't see me in my full glory. And then he says this, and I think this is really important. Sometimes we just blow over this part because maybe it's not the funnest thing to talk about. But he says, 
I will be gracious. This is the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Now, I'm going to ask you a serious question. Do you think Moses, out of all of the people of Israel at that time, especially when he comes in to lead the people of Israel, you think he's the most righteous person? He was a murderer. He was raised in the house of the Pharaoh. Think he ever went to pagan worships? Think he was given a choice? He was in the house of Pharaoh. Who was that person besides Moses' mother that raises Moses and teaches the words of God to Moses and helps Moses remember who he is? Yeah, it's Miriam. Right? See how it's all, it's all together? But he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And then he tells Moses something we wrote a song about. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. He says, All right, here's what we're going to do, though. He said, there's going to be a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. Last time, as Paul pointed out, who was standing on the rock? God was. This time, Moses is going to stand on the rock. He's going to stand on the rock. Does that sound New Testament to you? Sounds really New Testament to me. He's going to stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Who's the rock? All right. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. Whose hand? God's. All right. So we see Jesus and God represented in this moment, right? So he is being completely covered by and protected by God, right? Now, don't forget this, too. He says he's going to show grace to who he shows grace to, and he's going to show mercy to who he shows mercy to. Why is that important? How do you receive grace? Faith. Say that again, Doug. Yeah, you have to be covered by God. How do you receive grace? Grace is a gift. Not that any of us deserve it, right? But it has been freely given. Through who? Through Jesus. Okay? So he has grace on whom he has grace on. Right? All right. Why do you need the blood of Christ? Our sin, go deeper though. Why do you need the blood of Christ? That is the grace. Because God is covering your sin because he's just. Because he's just. And the wages of sin is? That's the justice of God. Your sin is worthy of death and punishment. That's what it's worthy of. That is, so you are getting heaven when you deserve hell by the grace of God. Okay? That comes through Jesus. But why does the hand need to be there too? Because we haven't addressed mercy. 
You're getting grace from Jesus. You need mercy from God. Why? Because God is the judge. Right? And every one of us will have to stand before him and be judged by him. And the only way you get through that judgment is one, yes, you better be covered. You better be in the cleft of the rock. You better be, have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, 100%. But you also need the mercy of God not to give you what you deserve because you deserve hell. But by the mercy of God, you're going to get heaven. Right? All the way from the beginning. Mount Sinai. It's all right there. And every single time, for some reason, for some reason, especially in Moses' writings, for some reason, he wants to surround all this stuff in a rock. It's always got the rocks in it. All right, let's keep going. We're almost done. We're almost done. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. You can't even start a conversation on the rock if anybody is doubting that the rock in these situations is God, listen to Moses' own words. And you can read all of chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. It's all about this. It's all about this. Okay? I picked out the important parts of the scripture to, to uh, try to show you the overwhelming evidence that Moses, at this point in his life, understands who the rock is. Understands who the rock is that God said, hey, go talk to that and water will pour forth. And instead you hit it twice. OK, Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse three says, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He's proclaiming who God is. And this is how he starts. Is he says the rock. The rock, just like Jacob recognized it was the rock. Just like God stood on the rock. And Moses recognized it. Just like the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the law was written on the rock. Right? You go through the list of all the different things. Just like the great rock that withheld the water from the flock. It took a shepherd to roll away the stone. Says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And this is the other thing I want you to see in chapter 32, because we're going to get to some other scriptures that will bring this out, is he's not just telling them, hey, God is the rock. He's also telling them, hey, you've been chasing other rocks. And this is why you are the fallen generation. This is why you're the generation that doesn't get into the promised land. This is why your kids will inherit it with Joshua and you and I won't. All right. Look what he says here. He says, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. This is happening before Moses dies. This is already happening. In fact, it probably never stopped happening. So why does God leave it, lead Israel out of Egypt, you ask? Because of his faithfulness to his own word, not necessarily the faithfulness of his people. Right? Look at this one. They sacrificed the demons that were no gods. 
to gods they had never known. So what were they doing? Exactly what God told them not to do, right? They were going into the foreign land. They didn't know their gods, but they're accepting those too. Right? Remember, let's go back to Jacob for a minute. Y'all know about Leah and Rachel? You remember when uh, Jacob, because Laban doesn't want them to leave, you remember that part? And Jacob, Jacob sneaks his daughters away from him. And then a couple days later, Laban's like, what? Everybody's gone. And then Laban pursues them and eventually overcomes them. And Laban says, you've taken my daughters. He actually says, you've taken my daughters by force with the sword. That's not what it seems like to me. And then he says, and you've taken the gods of my household. Right? And Jacob is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Laban goes and they... He's searching through all of Jacob's stuff and he's trying to find these gods. He wants at least his gods back. You understand? He wants his gods back. Somehow they can be hidden from him. Must not be gods at all. And it sounds like some scripture right there, doesn't it? And who stole them? Yeah, how'd you know that? <laughs> Rachel stole them. She's sitting on them on her camel sack. She's sitting on them and she tells her dad, I'm sorry, I can't get up. It's that time of the month. That's what she tells him. I'm serious. Read your Bible. That's what she says. And he's like, well, I ain't touching that then. I'm serious. What did they do with those after that? Hmm. Sounds like they never left camp. Sounds like they never left camp. So wait, you mean the one that he got tricked into marrying, who, hmm, who has more of the kids in the tribes of Israel? Oh, so the one he didn't want. And the one he wanted, they fell in love madly at first sight and kissed her before she could even leave the well is also the one that took her daddy's gods and might have started off this whole thing the wrong way. So they sacrificed the demons that were no gods to gods that they had never even known. They were just, they were just bringing all the gods in wherever they went, right? Whom the fathers had never dreaded. They didn't even know about these ones. When they left Egypt, they didn't even know about these. And it says this, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Now, the rock that bore you and the God that gave you birth, doesn't that sound like the same thing? All right. How could one have chased a thousand? You remember this? You remember in Joshua's, when, he, when he's, they've conquered, but there's still stuff to do, and he's reminding them, hey, we still got some stuff to do in the land of Canaan. There's still some people we got to drive out. And he says, don't you forget. 
Don't you forget that when one of them see you, a thousand will flee from your presence. Not because you're so strong and mighty, but because of the God that's in you and they know you're his people. Remember when he says that? Look at this now. It says, how could one have chased a thousand and two have put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them? God had abandoned them. Right? And the Lord had given them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. Right? Where is your God? It's like Elijah on, the Mount, on Mount Carmel. Hey, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe you're not cutting yourself enough. Whatever he said to them. He mocked them. Why? Because their rock is not his rock. And all that they're doing is to no one. At best, it's categorized in Deuteronomy chapter 3 as worshiping demons. And then he says this, For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, Where are their gods? Where are their gods? Who's he addressing right now? He's addressing that generation that's getting ready to go into Canaan because his generation had failed. And it's almost the time of Joshua to take over and lead that generation into him. And he's reminding them, you have God with you. No matter what you come against, you have God with you. And he's your rock. Cling to him. He will deliver you. Just like he gave you water in a dry and thirsty land. Anybody have any comments for tonight? I've already went over. All right, then. Thanks for coming to class. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be going a little deeper next week in the area of the priest. The high priest. Well, the next week that we do it. That's good, because I'm telling you right now, this was a wormhole, and I, I could use another week to get my...